Let's go live. I'm going to make sure that this is like right in front of my face now. Now we're good here. All right, Oliver Linsenbarth, welcome to your official second appearance on, well, first appearance officially, second time technically on the podcast. Does, good the, first, to have you, does, the, does the first one even count? Uh, the first one does not count, although it was money. It was <laughs> so much good stuff out there. Well, well, we'll try to make this one a little bit more informative and entertaining at the same time. Let's put it that way. I was actually thinking that like it'll be great if I can mix in some of the stuff from the last episode, but people will tell you we're wearing a different T-shirt. Were you wearing the same T-shirt last time? No, I was wearing a black one. Okay. If I remember, I don't know if I remember what I was wearing the other day, um, but no, I think it's a different one. I like to, I don't like to wear you know the same thing every day, but sometimes you know it does happen. You know. Fair, fair, fair. And how are you enjoying your espresso today? Is it good? Oh, it's fantastic. So homebrewed espresso. Yeah. So the difference between so this is my second one, right? Yeah. And the first one that you did was absolutely fantastic. You know, the second one. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to give this a go. Can't you, be, can't be too hard, you know? I'll tell you a little secret. It took, it take, especially with this machine, you need to get like eight or nine brews out before but, you can get it right. But you know? So this is what I've kind of read up about it. So you've gotten me into this whole, I have to say, I don't want to say coffee mania, but you got me to be a little bit of a look into this kind of this pastime, this hobby that a lot of people have with enjoying and drinking coffee. And what the the reviews have actually said about rocket machines is that the consistency is it's very once you find your way it's extremely consistent right compared to you know let's say smaller kind of machines that are not as kind of expensive or not as extensive but clearly there is a there's a taste difference between mine and yours so there is a talent that uh, you have or you have the hands barista a little bit better than myself so yeah there's basically um i read about it we have it in the catalog for the rocket uh, machines mm -hmm. there are four m's um each they're all italian words so i wouldn't remember them right now Oof. but just like you have four diamonds four c's you yeah. have four m's okay um but basically what they are are grind uh, level uh, so like how your grinder basically and how finely how fine the ground is mm -hmm. The pressure or the machine, the hand of the barista is what the third M, and the fourth M was the what would be the coffee bean, so the quality of the bean. So where you get it from, how how finely, how fine is the ground, the machine you're using, which is the pressure, and right. the hand of the barista. Basically. Well, that's kind of ironic because three of those things were out of my control. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the hand of the barista is what makes the difference between the first cup of coffee and the second one. But you know, hats off to you. I mean, compared to the first time when I came in here and you made me one. Which was delicious, but remember, we were telling you, oh, it's a little bit acidic, it's a little bit yeah. acidic, to now. Well, yeah. normally we would cheers, but since this is coffee, I read about it, I looked it up, it was bad luck, like, it is actually bad luck, and it's September 13th today, so we're not gonna even mess this, around with, with like... Uh, is this, like, superstition? Are you into superstition, first of all? Is it is I'm it not, a thing? but if it's, it's, it's two things at once, September 13th, and bad luck, it says in big block letters that it's bad luck to uh, cheers with coffee, so okay. I'm, just, I'm just gonna avoid it, you know? Okay. I don't believe in it, but I'm gonna avoid it just to be on the safe side. Fine, fine, fair um, enough. <laughs> But, uh, yo, dude, it's really good to have you here, and thanks for coming. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have me. Thank you for having me here as well. You are a kinesiologist at DISC. Correct. Uh, DISC stands for um, Diversified Integrated Sports Clinic. Correct. An amazing clinic. I've been going there for like the last couple of years for shoulder, back issues. Um, and they have two clinics. One is in Dubai Healthcare City, and the other one is in JLT. And I have had the wonderful joy of having done three, three shoulder surgeries in two years. So, basically... I'm excited to have you today because together between your expertise and my first-hand experience, I'm hoping that we can share some of the kind of insights and learnings that I think a lot of people, especially the ones who are living in Dubai, sedentary lifestyles, um, a lot of injuries that are similar, um, hopefully like sharing some of what I've, first, what I've experienced first-hand in my 
my good things and bad things that I've tried. And of course, from your expertise, from dealing with me and other patients, mm-hmm. hopefully give some people some insight and advice on how they can take care of themselves. Correct. So, I mean, first and foremost, three surgeries is, I mean, quite extensive when you come to think about it, but it's not something that's very uncommon in Dubai. I mean, I've been here now, it's coming up to five years and honestly speaking, you know, from, from our practice, uh, from, you know, a kind of multidisciplinary clinic, kind of injury prevention uh, background, we try to avoid have people to actually go under the knife. I, I Typically when I see people or if they see them, especially for the first time, if they haven't seen anyone else at the clinic, I'll tell them that I will only advocate surgery for two reasons and two reasons only. One of that being that it's life-threatening. So in your case, not really the case, a shoulder kind of issue, discomfort is not something that's necessarily life-threatening. But the second thing is, is that you've tried every type of conservative therapy possible out there, and you're living with so much pain that you cannot bear on a daily basis, then I'll say, look, you've, you've given your consent, you can go under the knife. And what a lot of people kind of miss, I think, I mean, it's great that, you know, when, whenever you go to surgery, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to be sliced open, I'm going to do whatever has to be done, and then I come out of it, I'm going to be perfect. I mean, in some cases, yes, but they don't give you the worst case kind of scenario where there's a large amount of rehab that's required afterwards as well. And sometimes it doesn't turn out for the very best. And you can see, I mean, you've had the rate three at this point, so you can kind of attest to this. You can tell from your own experience as well that you've had, I don't want to say mishap. I mean, you've, we've come to this point. I think we've gotten you to a great kind of area right now, treating you conservatively as well, but you know, there's always going to be ups and downs with everything when it comes to kind of the human body. Yeah, I mean, now that you've touched on this, I mean, I'm actually not, I would have preferred not to do the surgeries. I mean, the, the second and the third sur- uh, surgeries that I've done were to fix the damage that happened from the first surgery, mm-hmm. which was supposed to fix things. And unfortunately, the doctor was great. I mean, he's as good of a doctor as it gets. Yeah. But the shoulder is a very tough joint. There's, you know, a lot of, as you said, they don't tell you the worst case scenario. So the two other surgeries I had to do were to fix the damage of the first one. So you mm-hmm. can imagine with three surgeries, Things are great. I'm getting stronger. Um, but obviously, in hindsight, I would have just preferred to work with whatever I could have done to avoid the surgery. So you're, you're absolutely right on that one. I mean, the, the biggest, I mean, it, it's kind of a two, two-edged sword here because there are, I, I'm not here to kind of badmouth any doctors. I think anyone who's in the healthcare industry, I think it's really important we have all the same goal of getting people better at the end of the day. That's it. That's all. Now, there's good intentions with the surgery, but also there's this ethics side. And this is what we've come across here in Dubai or, or working in the clinic far too many times is that doctors will push surgeries, whether they're necessary or not necessary. This is, you know, for someone to make that decision. So this is what I try to do with individuals when I work with them is I need to educate you so that you understand what you're going to get yourself into. And I think the biggest lack I don't want to say it's just here. I think this is just worldwide is this lack of understanding what you're getting yourself into because we're, we're, we're sold this image of, oh, I'm going to be perfect after the surgery when in reality, it's, it's not always the case. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, your first surgery was the one to fix something. And then you had two subsequent surgeries to fix what was done, maybe not so well on the first one. Yeah. So it's kind of an unfortunate situation. We don't come, I mean, I don't, I don't come across people normally who have multiple surgeries, but to have you stable, being able yeah. to train pretty much do anything, um, yeah. is, is, is a great, great start. I'm, I mean, I'm super excited that I can actually do pushups again. I can do 25, 30 pushups now. Thanks to your, I mean, you've been very patient working with me. I've had, I mean, honestly, I've worked with so many physios, um, in San Francisco, in New York, <clears throat> when I was there, I've tried a bunch of doctors and physios here in Dubai and, mm. 
I gotta say, I mean, not just because you're here, but I mean, that's why I wanted to have you here. Uh, I've had the best result up until now mm-hmm. um, because of not just the your approach to the strengthening regime that I need to have, but mm-hmm. also your ability to understand the symptoms that I was explaining to you. The process by which we were communicating and you were giving me the right exercises was very different from what I was experiencing with, let's say, physiotherapists. I mean, right. not, not to say that they're not important right. or that they don't help. They have helped me a lot. Um, and it's a combination of physiotherapy and whatever we're doing with kinesiology. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm very grateful because I'm, I've, I'm more, I'm fitter than I've ever been in the last three years since I've done the surgeries. Cool. And that feels amazing. And I have to say also, I want to give a big shout out to Tamara. Mm-hmm. So Tamara Ghazi, the medical director Correct. and the co-founder at DISC, um, super hustler, amazing what she's done at DISC, having an amazing crew of people, um, herself as a chiropractor, hands-on, she still does what she does very well. Mm. So really, I mean, you, you guys are actually doing so much benefit to people around in Dubai that, that I think it goes, you know, it's it's underrated just how much, you know, you can improve thanks to the gut work that you guys are doing. So, cool. so yeah. Cool. Well, first from, from myself and I'm sure from everyone at, at the clinic who you've, or Tamara for sure, we thank you for that. I mean, we're very, very appreciative for, having people actually see us as, as being a very big benefit for them. But yeah. it's it's really about giving what the people need, right? Yeah. We're not here to have you come in every day. So no, 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 we're, yeah. it, it's, we're very people centric. Okay. Yeah. This is the, the, the important thing. And I think maybe I'm not, I'm not going to downsize basically the previous therapists that you've seen around the world. They're for sure very good therapists. Now, what makes a therapist be good to excellent is not only their skill set, but it's also their understanding as a human being. You need to have empathy within this job. If you do not have empathy, I can't understand exactly what you're feeling. So when the first time someone, let's say, comes in to see me, I'm looking at body language. How are they lying on the table? Are they legs crossed, arms... Oh, boy, sorry. (laughs) Legs crossed, arms crossed on the table. It tells a lot. It tells a lot about how that individual is. Right. And... In order for them to have a good therapeutic response, I need to be able to make you relax. Yeah. Because if you're anxious on the table yeah. and you're like, you just, you want nothing to do with this, yeah. it's not going to be a very good outcome. Right. Yes. Yes. So that's the first thing that I kind of tell a lot of in- individuals is I got to make you feel like you're in a good place in order for you to foster this care. And this has to a lot to say about the clinic because when you walk into the clinic i mean you can maybe speak about this it would be great from kind of an outside perspective i'm a little bit biased being on the inside right but when you walk into the clinic it doesn't really feel like a clinic at all oh i love it i mean even the music playing in the background when i come in sometimes you know there's a summer summer house music playing Mm -hmm. in the background uh, everybody from the receptionists are friendly. You know, it, it does feel like a very different clinic. I yeah. have to say, and, and it's, it's always fun. When we go there, we're always talking about crypto and having laughing. So it doesn't feel like I'm going to see a, a therapist or Correct. that it's supposed to be. A, 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 like, I actually look forward to coming. And even more excited, like, I have, I've worked out with personal trainers in the past. I mm. mean, a lot of times, if you think about our sessions, it's like a personal training session. Correct. Although the level of supervision that I'm getting from you and the things that you are watching me do, you know, the other day you were telling me not to put uh, or to put more weight on my toes. That's I've never had that feedback from a personal mm. trainer because always they're just counting reps for you, trying to grab, you know, spot you when you're doing lifts or if you're doing bench presses or so on, which is important. Yeah. But the level of uh, intricate, uh, close, I mean, the, 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 the your eye to detail basically um, that has helped me fix my form in certain positions and spotting things that I haven't had people spot before which is how much weight i was putting on my toes i mean how are you even able to see how much weight i was putting on my toes with my shoes on it's fascinating <laughs> so but it's been tremendously helpful i, I gotta cool. say yeah yeah cool i mean everything matters details matter um this is what i say within my own practice yeah. right and you know whether it's 
correcting form or just making sure that you feel comfortable, these are details that right. absolutely matter. And believe it or not, a lot of people think that the therapy itself, when you're coming in, when you're coming into the clinic, starts when you see the therapist. You're incorrect. Yeah. The second you walk in that door, you're in this beautiful environment that's like, wow, I have woods everywhere. I have plants. It's very organic. It's very warm. That's when your therapy starts because you're already subjecting yourself to this great environment that's giving your body that opportunity to say, hey, whatever I'm going to get here, I'm going to take it in even better, right? right? So working into details when it comes to, I mean, that, that comes with over, over time. I think there's some brilliant personal trainers here in Dubai as well that can spot these things. But, I mean, it depends on person to person. It depends on how uh, kind of motivated and how they want to do their job. Are they very attentive to detail? Because details do matter at the end of the day. Right, right, right. By the way, I just realized that, is my laptop plugged in? <laughs> it's checking. I think it is, right? Yeah. I see some cords here on the side. All right, perfect. Do, do That's fine. No, 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 don't worry. It's yeah, fine. It's yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, it cool, is. Cool, cool. It is. So I want to ask you about... Um, Kinesiology. So I've never even heard of this term up until I met you. Mm. And I'm fascinated by um, the title. Uh, I've never heard it before. I looked it up, obviously, before the interview. But I want to hear from you. What is kinesiology? And more importantly, well, what is kinesiology? Why did you choose to get into that field? Mm. And what are the cases of people that allow them to think, okay, I need a kinesiologist, not a physiotherapist, not a chiropractor, but a kinesiologist? Right. What are the cases that... No. Right. So kinesiology, in short, is the study of human movement, right? So kini is movement, sology, study of, right? So study of human movement. Um, it's a three-year bachelor or four-year, sorry, bachelor degree um, in Canada. It started off primarily in South America. It kind of grew a little bit to North America. And I know there is now in certain parts of Europe, especially in France, they, a lot of doctors work with, I don't know if it's necessarily a kinesiologist, but they call them kinesiotherapeut. Mm -hmm. So it's a kinesiotherapist, which is, I think, along the lines kind of related to kinesiology, right? You have different realms of kinesiology, okay? In North America, this is where it kind of bugged me a little bit. And I think this is subconsciously probably one of the reasons why I made it out to this side of the world is a kinesiologist is viewed as a glorified trainer, right? It's someone who has this kind of degree. And now all the gyms are looking for kinesiologists to come in and show, you know, to do not only functional assessments, but also show how to do proper exercise and work alongside maybe a physician, a chiropractor, a physiotherapist, or someone to understand the terminology and to provide the best service to that individual. Now, what kind of individuals should be working with a kinesiologist? It really comes down to that individual, right? Mm -hmm. I think anyone could be working with a kinesiologist, physiotherapist, whoever it is, but preferably with kinesiology. How I kind of view it is if you've had previous injuries, maybe training with trainers or, you know, you've had multiple ankle sprains, multiple here, there, everywhere, kind of discomfort when you're training, maybe this would be a good idea to kind of consult someone who is a kinesiologist to check maybe is it that you're lacking range of motion somewhere. Mm. Are you lacking specific strength in a certain position? And maybe to give a regressed-based exercise pattern so that they can actually improve from there. And last time you were saying that there is a difference between applied kinesiology Correct. and uh, kinesiology yeah. in its classical definition, I guess. Um, what I came across in my bit of research that I did is that there are four different elements that a holistic approach for kinesiology that looks not just at the physical movement, but also on the psychological state of the person, the neurochemical stuff. So could you talk a little bit about that? So yeah, this is a, an interesting side. Like you said, it's called applied kinesiology. And what us as kinesiologists that we do, which I'll use in my practice, but I use it a little bit differently. I, I use it in the functional perspective. Mm -hmm. 
what uh, kinesiologists use is something called MMT, which is called manual muscle testing. So if I, you know, make you put your arm out and kind of push on it, I look for the response that that muscle is giving me with regards to a stimulus that I apply to your body. Now, the stimulus that I apply to people will be some kind of functional stimulus, maybe something that will propagate pain, maybe something that will propagate, you know, discomfort in the body whatsoever. Now, other kinesiologists, this is where I kind of don't relate super well with these kinesiologists, is they'll do, you know, allergy-based testing, right? So, oh, we're going to kind of do this muscle test and see how your body responds, but we'll have you holding salt in your other hand. So that salt that's, you know, indirectly in contact with your, with your body, if it's something your body is not happy kind of having around itself or having within, or within the vicinity of yourself, your muscles are going to test weak. Right? Why? Because it's just a negative stimulus to the brain. The brain doesn't like that. So some people test allergens. Some people test emotions. Again, now this is a completely other realm, and I think yeah. it should go maybe along the psychology or, or psychiatry kind of ward. Um, I use a lot of kind of just vocal psychology that we try to understand body language more than anything else, or uh, like pupil dilation I look for. I look for skin color. So when I'm treating someone, if I'm pushing, and, and I think this is a little bit too hard, how is the skin reacting? If it's starting to get red, if it's starting to get aggravated, this is where I kind of judge my approach based on that. And I can see if okay, is this person feeling actually what I'm doing or does their brain have a little bit of skewing in this area and doesn't understand mm. what I'm actually doing? So there's different realms. I mean, every kinesiologist kind of can go out about it a little bit differently. Yeah. But uh, in retrospect, I like using movement and kind of physical therapy more uh, yeah. along my lines where I use my kinesiology. And one thing I've noticed in our work together is, you know, the importance of getting stronger again. In very simple terms, gaining strength again mm -hmm. in the in the for the purpose of, rehab and, and fixing whatever issues I still have in my shoulder or other parts of my body. Yeah. And it got me thinking the other day, I was watching um, a podcast for a guy called Tim Bilyeu, who had a doctor on. Uh, her name is uh, uh, something, uh, hold on, uh, Gabrielle Lyon, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And she is a doctor that's specialized in um, muscle-centric uh, as a discipline in her, in her practice. Interesting. And she spoke for an hour about... Uh, the importance or basically the importance of the muscle, the size of the muscle and the strength of the muscle mm -hmm. and as an indicator for longevity. So if you are somebody that has strong, big muscles, basically, in very mm -hmm. simple terms, you'll probably live much longer than somebody else. And what she also spoke about is, um, and it got my attention, is that most people are, you know, who have fitness issues, they think they're fat or they have extra fat. Actually, what they are is under muscle. So... It, it just made me realize that basically if you can focus on nothing else other than eating, and she spoke a lot about animal protein, by the way, about mm. the importance of eating your leucine, which is your amino acids. Um, but basically what I took out of this episode as I'm watching it is the importance of strength and, and, and growing your, the size of your muscle as yeah. well as your fitness in yeah. order to, ma to maintain your longevity. Yeah. So do you, have you seen, have you noticed the same thing in terms of rehab that as long as you're strong, you should be able to recover pretty much from most of those issues that... that uh, Honestly speaking, in terms of strength, I've never actually tested it, but I could believe it. I yeah. can believe it. What I do and I have tested and I've kind of led, uh, read a lot of research on this is that the better you move, the longer you live as well. Yeah. So movement is, is definitely an indicator of your health, right? So typically people who are extremely tight or don't move well, who can't put their, you know, their arm behind their head. It's not a great indicator in terms of what's going on inside your body, right? right? So you want... I keep hitting this thing. What's going on here? I don't know how far I have to get it. I guess this is where the, the hand gestures actually all come in right now. Um, so movement is actually a great indicator of how healthy you are. And typically, 
you can, I mean, I have over the years kind of my, my palpation. So palpation is basically your, your feeling skill working with individuals. You can tell if a muscle is basically tightened or it's, it's shortened mm. because of stress or if it's shortened because of exercise. And basically some of the modalities that I use to decrease that muscle tension will tell me if it'll stay that way or if it won't stay that way. So this is also the importance of the endocrine system. So the hormonal based messenger system inside the body. If you're someone who's extremely anxious, right? So I've had a couple of people actually yesterday who are extremely anxious and being anxious. I'm like, I can feel that it's just, it's not, it's not anything structural inside your body that's actually creating your pain. It's the fact that you're not managing your stress really well that's creating your pain, right? And you have to understand as well, pain is so multifaceted. Pain is, pain is not actually necessarily something structural. It's something that is perceptive, yeah. right? I mean, we can get into a huge debate about yeah. pain, right? Some people, and this is where pain tolerance actually comes in, right? Some people have much better t- pain tolerance than others. Typically, women have better t- pain tolerance than men because, well, they bear children. They actually also give birth to them. So this is naturally and anatomically, they already have higher pain thresholds than men. I'm a little sissy. Like, seriously, you can, I can, I like can fall. I, I, I don't know if I bruise like a peach, but I'm always kind of comparing myself back to my skateboarding days. And I'll never forget when the board, like you, you'd, you'd mess up a trick and the board would come smashing into your shin. Oh, just, I, I still have that like feeling in my head. It's like, no, 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 this is, this is not a great feeling, but you know, you get over it, you walk it off. And now if I touch my shin, it's all like yeah, r- yeah. rugged and, and it's like, okay, there are the skateboarding days. Dude, pain is such a crazy thing. Like I've, Unbelievable. I've had, you know, when I had my shoulder issues, mm. I would go to a doctor and explain I have pain. Now I did have a partial tear in my tendons. Yeah. Um, so the pain was legitimate there. Of course it would get uh, better and worse depending on like things like the weather or if I was working out and things like that. Mm. And one thing that actually always worked is like strengthening the muscles that were around the area of the pain so that they can start to compensate and carry the load on wherever the pain is being caused. And that's the one thing that I didn't have enough patience for. Mm. So I would do a little bit of a workout. Things would get better, but they're not good enough. Right. And that's why I, I did the mistake of, well, two things I've done that, um, three things I've done that I'm hoping, you know, other people would just maybe avoid. Did you just hit the mic? Again. Yeah, oh, man. So it's not a me thing. It's like, it's just something that's happening today, right? You know, these are the best mics. I don't know why they're... No, they're like, great. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. So, what. so you know, being... I, I've done podcasts before, but I haven't done, you know, to this extent of, you know, professional mics, professional everything, sound, you know, your cameras, everything is all kind of set up properly. And I'm not used to having... I don't know how, you know, I always see them and, and they like having they always close bring it close to your face. Forth, yeah. and, you know, they move it around like, oh, am I going to be okay if it's here? Does it sound different? So sorry well, if, if the sound quality is bad. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm really trying here. You know? I think the sound quality is good. I think the ergonomic setup and design of the mics, maybe, look, we were still figuring this out. This is episode two. So by the uh, way, big congrats to you. This is, you, this is, this is really cool. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who talk about how they want to start doing podcasts, but I mean, when did you start talking about this? Maybe like six, seven weeks ago, maybe something like that. And you're like, that's it. I'm going to buy my mics. And then you come back home one day, you have this extensive setup. I'm like, man, you really, you really went all the way into the deep end and you did this. Like it's, it's, a, it's an, an initial investment. It's pretty high, but you're going to, you're doing it right. But this is exactly what I was trying. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And I have to say, it's been the combination of things that were happening during the quarantine. Mm. A lot of it has to do with the working out that we're doing three, four times a week, yeah. giving me the sort of endorphins, that good energy, listening to a lot of podcasts and getting inspired mm. by like Joe Rogan and, and a few other people like Tom Bidu is one of them, Lex Friedman. And once you start to kind of 
approach and ha- you know approach your life from all those different things. You're working out in the morning. You're getting all this excitement. You're not just lazy. Um, you're surrounded by people with positive energy. Um, you're listening to podcasts, and then suddenly you're like, okay, I want to take part of this. And whether unfortunately for me, it's not about making money here. It's mm. like a hobby, mm. so I'm not stressed out about it. And I just hope you know it 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 benefits people the way. It, the podcast that I've been listening to up and now benefit me. For sure. I mean, listen, more and more people are actually listening to the podcast. I think it's something that they can relate with as well. And it's when they're driving, you know, okay, if I have a drive to Abu Dhabi, if I have a drive anywhere, you know, yeah. people want to listen to something. And yeah. the radio is just filled with ads now. You go on YouTube, you go anywhere, you just see ads all the time. And it's not something that you want to necessarily be listening to. It's something that just annoys you and you're like... I need to drone this out now, you know? So having a podcast like this and, and having this extensive setup, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. I think you're going to learn quite a lot as well. You're going to be the new like uh, genius of Dubai here <laughs> with all the, the professionals that you're going to be having coming in, uh, into your place here and, and having this amazing setup. So kudos to so. you. And, and you, I think... Um, we officially don't have a dining table anymore. So we'll be having... Uh, <laughs> we should, if we order some pizza, we'll go eat it on the sink like rats. Hey man, it's not... Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think you could live with that. Yeah, I, I really... Fine. But actually returning to one thing. So I know we're gonna have our little yeah, yeah. ups you and can downs. Take tangents, that's fine. I'm uh, I'm a little bit ADD, as you know. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I we're, we're fast. <laughs> <laughs> if you noticed, if you noticed, not gonna lie, after our last uh, trial that we did, so I saw myself on the on the podcast, and I'm like, why am I speaking so quick? Why am I doing this? So I'm really trying to like cool it tell, down. You're quite composed, but it's hard. Yeah not first of all it's not being me so much but it's for other people to understand but also the fact that i had two, two double espressos which doesn't help it but uh returning on pain i think it's so multifaceted as well and there's actually a concept called the biopsychosocial model okay. which is another element when you know having anyone come in whether it's to do exercise or it's to do therapy so you have not only your biology but you have the psychology and the social interactions that you're around that are going to affect your pain in 100% and it, it, pain is a perception is an absolute perception and some people because of their surrounding because of the psychology that they're in or become of because of their anatomy per se will feel more and will feel less yeah and a lot of people will try to mask it or have a great job masking it in certain ways and some people don't have that great ability to mask it in certain ways so if you talk to somebody who's actually like a couple of my friends who went to uh do some shamanic spiritual uh cleansing ceremonies mm-hmm. like ayahuasca ceremonies in peru and others um they have actually spoken about pain being a chronic issue that has to do and this is we're going to go into a spiritual realm here mm. but they talk about pain being um, related to something that happened in your past life or your childhood and then when you go and you do this cleansing um, a lot of the people went to the chronic back pain in the middle of their ceremony they would they would talk about uh, a sudden like explosion in the p- area of pain that they had and a release and that got me like because that that wasn't just one or two people that were talking about it but a few people had issues with their back or with their arms or whatever and you did this kind of spiritual cleansing and that's got me you know thinking pain is could be i mean it could be placebo it's i don't know but it's not placebo it's it's honestly we have inside our body how or, or what we do we make associations right so we have emotional associations we have physical associations pain is so like i said it's so multifaceted again we can go forward and backward a million times but definitely emotions from the past trauma from from when you were young definitely all have an effect on it and this is where therapy is also changing right so when i have someone come in when i started my practice i would think that the reason why they're in pain is because there's actually something structural that's happening to them 
couldn't be farther away from the truth, yeah. right? There could be something in the level of the software that's creating a problem. And I always make this association of computers, right? Yeah. So you have your computer that's operating, you have your tower, it's, it's good, it's going well, and boom, your computer goes off. Now, what can the problem be? It can be actually something structural inside the tower that needs to be changed. But what happens if it's a software problem? Right? Yeah. You have to address the software problem as well. Yeah. And this is where a lot of the new therapies that are coming out are trying to affect the neurology of the human body rather than just only the structural ability. Yeah, or even masking it, right? Because like one of the things that I've done, which was a horrible mistake, and I hope that I can pass some of these uh, learnings mm. to others, two things, right? So these steroid, steroid injections, right? Which is, uh, uh, what do you call it? Cortisol. 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 Uh, no. Cortisol. 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 Cortisol injections. They work. They take away the pain. They take away the inflammation. But mm-hmm. before you know it, you think that is, you know, now I don't have any pain anymore. So you start working out on the area of the pain, and like three it's months a- after it wears out, you're actually in deeper trouble. I'm actually surprised they still do this because it's such a misleading way to treat pain that it actually causes more damage. And they don't tell you this stuff. Well, well, so at the end of the day, it's one thing: do we take care of the pain, or do we take care of the problem? Right. Because oftentimes, taking the pair, pain, wow. Taking care of the pain is much easier than taking care of the problem, yeah. right? And this is where it depends, again, on the therapist. It depends, again, on the healthcare practitioner. What do they want to attack? And typically, taking care of the problem takes a lot longer than taking care of the pain. So a lot of the times, this is why doctors will say, hey, you know what, Yazan? Come on in. We'll give you a little injection. You'll numb everything out. You'll be good to go. When, as you know, it just masks it. So whether yeah. it's a cortisone injection They have also something called hyaluronic acid, which is basically a fluid that will bathe the joints, typically. And the the new most famous one, which we also do at the clinic, is called PRP, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, which is basically done to me as well. So basically, they they grab your own blood, they they take a vial out, they centrifuge your blood, and basically within our blood we have what are called platelets. So they aggregate these platelets, which are the healing factors of the body, and with higher concentrations, they use a needle and inject it into the site that needs to be healed. Does that stuff work though? I mean, because I know that there's a lot of tests that show that there's no evidence to show that it works but there's no evidence that shows that it, uh, it's bad for you or anything like that so you do it anyway and hope for the best basically right so this is where it gets a little bit tough right you have to base our our, our, our thoughts on data mm-hmm. right in certain instances i do think that it does have a very good probability of helping you so when you're talking about a, maybe a tendinopathy so an aggr- um, a tendon is aggravated in a certain way taking PRP and shooting into that area will be very, very helpful. Certain other pathologies, I do not think it will be helpful. Mm. And you have to also remember this. When you get the PRP injection, the needle that they use is a fairly big needle, right? So if I were to do a PRP injection, or if I was to grab an acupuncture needle and just maybe, you know, kind of pierce the area, you're going to get a healing response in either way, whether you use the bigger needle or the smaller needle. Now, what's the efficacy of that? I don't know. I, I, I haven't actually, I mean, it would be fun to get one of the doctors in to kind of speak about this. I think that everything has its place. Um, I think that PRP does have its place as well, but not for all pathologies, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think the last thing I, I, I've also had experience with, and, and thankfully, you know, I, I, you know, it was not an issue that for me, but it's, I know it's an issue for like, for, for a lot of people, especially in the U.S., which was uh, opioids, right? So they give you opioids as painkillers. To be honest, even when I started taking them, I could see the happiness. I could see the relaxation. And even for a period of time, 
I could see how I could easily get dependent on this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and fortunately, I have to say one thing about Dubai is that they take they are very careful to not prescribe that stuff yeah. uh, on demand, or even if you are demanding it, they are very stringent about it. Very. In the U.S., when I was there, they would give this stuff to you like it's it's over candy. the it's over the counter. I mean, it, up until it's not what, exactly co- over the counter, but, but the doctors will give you the prescription well, as if it's over the counter. What uh, a couple of years ago, I know, I, I know they they've taken it off now, but OxyContin, which yeah. was was you can go and you can you can buy plenty of it, and yeah. this was the the problem in the United States is that when drugs started getting higher, all these these guys who were cooking crystal meth, they needed OxyContin and they needed ammonia, right? So they would go to the, the, the pharmacies and they would grab all the OxyContin and then they would go to a farm because the farms would, would contain ammonia as, as fertilizers for their crops and they would steal that as well. And they would do these batch and they would start mixing stuff up and they would start selling it. But this is where you had these crazy cases in the United States where people would show up in hospitals with end stage, you know, Parkinson's disease. Why? Because, you know, they cooked up a bad batch of yeah. this stuff. But like you were saying here, the, 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 I mean, the paperwork, the red tape around clinics here is, is fairly high. As it's it needs very, to be. very, very high. As the standard is, is very high, yeah. especially us. Uh, our clinic is basically under the realm of what's called the Dubai Healthcare City. So right. there's two regulating bodies in Dubai. So you have the DHA, which is the Dubai Health Authority. And then you have DHCC, which is Dubai Healthcare City Authority. Healthcare City is only in Healthcare City, which is a much higher international standard than DHA, which are most other clinics that are outside of DHCC. And these clinics, I mean, I I don't know. I'm, I'm, again, I work at DISC, so I don't really kind of walk into other clinics every day. But, you know, the standard is, is fairly high. And I know we get audited every six months and it's like, holy cannoli, we have a whole team that's, you know, being ready to to, to make sure that the paperwork is fine, that, you know, the the, the rooms are, are up to par and like everything is extremely yeah. stringent. And when we come in, we're like, okay, we have to, you know, be very on top of our game because anything can be yeah. uh, asked from us. As it should be, by the way. I mean, look, if there's, I think I came across a statistic one time that 90% of the opiates around the world are supplied and consumed in the US. Can you imagine that? And then if they talk about an opioid epidemic, people dying, I think the number is something like, I think it's 100 overdoses of opioids a, a day or something like a crazy number. I don't exactly know the statistics, but like it's an actual pandemic. Um, so the fact that they are like on top of things here on, when it comes to this stuff, I think is a really yeah, good it's, thing. it's really good. I mean, you don't you don't see it here in the streets every day. Whereas if you go to New York City and you go out in the middle of the night, California at Ty- too. Times yeah. Square, man, I, I always tell the story. You know, I was so my wife was working for Emirates for five years. So my wife, when she would come, this is before we had kids. I would I would sometimes hop on a flight with her and and go to certain places because you know obviously it was very affordable and I'd call myself the day tripper because literally when they go it's for a day and they come back. I almost wanted to start a vlog and stuff on this. I thought it was a great <laughs> day tripper, yeah. And I'll never forget, we once landed in New York. It was like at 11 p.m. We made it to the hotel around like 12.30. I'm like, you know what? It's 8.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., Dubai time. I don't remember the time of year exactly. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to go on a walk. I don't feel too tired right now. And I went out to Times Square, and I was just like, oh, my God. Everywhere, people like tripping on like hallucinating on the streets, smoking, people coming up to you wanting to sell you stuff. It just, it baffled me. I was just, I, I, I don't remember it being that way. I, I don't know if I was naive when I was living back in North America when I was in Montreal. I, I don't know. It just, it kind of hit me. I mean, being here, you know, in Dubai, we're in such a protected bubble. You never feel threatened at any point, right? Not because the police presence is so big on the outside. It's more that there's this huge amount of respect 
amongst individuals and the law and also that the law is extremely aggressive if you do you know decide to break it right so i think people respect each other quite a lot here yes. but it just boggled my mind back in north america how it was yeah and, and specific i mean i've lived in new york and i lived in san francisco mm. and i can tell you that in san francisco um I was having an existential crisis when I would walk down the street. Homeless people, like you're, stumbling, you're walking down Market Street or the Mission, and the number, and the, these are all the like fancy offices of like Uber and Google and all these like startups that are supposed to be the the gateway of innovation and tech in the world. In contrast, you have all these like drugged out people on the streets, homeless people. Like they would come to you like zombies. Um, you don't know even know what they, what the hell they're on bath salts and meth and all this shit. Uh, and that's uh, arguably, I think it's San Francisco and LA, the biggest uh, mm. homelessness in the world, uh, or in the US at least, um, with the biggest uh, you know issue when it comes to opioids. So you yeah. can see, and depression and suicide. So you see all these three things are also kind of related, right? When you right. start... Right, and it's only getting worse now. I mean, this whole pandemic did not help things at all. And I was actually watching a report. I don't know if you... Do you, do you follow uh, something? It's called Patriot Act. It's by Hassan Nanash. He did actually a whole episode on how the homelessness in the, you know, the bottom, basically the border between Mexico and the United States is getting completely out of hand. Yeah. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people now who are trying to seek asylum basically from Mexico going to the United States because they know that if they stay in their own country, they don't have anything and they might get killed. Wow. Right. And then they're taking their families and you can see that this poverty is just through the roof. I've never lived in California or, you know, the southern border of, uh, of the United States. I have been to Texas, but I don't think close enough to the border to really make that much of a difference. But it kind of boggles my mind what's going on in the world today, how people are perce- perceiving things as well. And yeah. It, it's scary times. I mean, you need to you need to stay very positive and you need to kind of make sure that you're doing your part for the world, helping as many people as you can. But OK, I want to actually show the kinesiology tapes, but I want to double check before the live stream cuts that we are connected to the inter- uh, electricity. So give me okay. one second. Yep. Are we good to go here? For those who are following, and even though the camera is on me, I have to show this little hack. I think this is a good one. So this is what I figured out actually the other day. So you know, obviously, obviously we have these masks on all the time, right? I'm gonna have to actually take my, do my it, do ear, it. the camera is on you, so you, you go ahead. But the thing is, is most people, right, when they when they have this, one of the biggest things that's that's really annoying nowadays is the fact that we have our phones and they only do the, the face IDs, right? So I don't know, I'm an iPhone user, right? So if you look at my iPhone right now, basically oh, yeah. it's locks, right? right? But if you conform the mask to your face. Come on, work now. <laughs> it's not working? It's not working now. Oh, no. Wait, what was, this what was, was, this to, was working. How, what was the hack, though? Because that, that definitely doesn't work. So what, what did you... No, it was. So what did you do to make it so work? So I, when I was pushing, basically, the mask to conform to my face... Oh, to conform. So it, you mean the shape yeah, of the... Oh, yeah, see. it would wow. work. I don't know if maybe it's just in a permanent lock now. Unlocked. Ah, uh, wow. Right? Having the mask on, unlocked. So you have to stick the mask on your face? Yeah. If you stick the mask more to your face, it uh. actually works. Actually works. I mean, I thought it was a pretty cool I think hack. that's the most insightful thing that was discussed uh, hey, on the podcast it's, it's today. Very, it's, <laughs> it's affecting us all, right? It's very interesting. I, I think, I think it's, a, it's a fun hack. for. I learned it. Maybe other people want to know about it. But I don't know if the, uh, you know, the blue or the green surgical masks yeah. will work because they don't they really stick conform. To your face. Yeah. Whereas the material ones with the copper or whatnot, they're a little bit more rigid and they can right. actually hold on to your face. So. Right, right, right. right. There, there, there you have it. But I'm going to... Let me see. If, before the... Oh, we still got some battery on the iPad. I want to make sure that I get... Um, Show because there's one thing that really blew my mind when it com- comes to kinesiology is the tapes. Correct. Now I've tried different types of tapes. The tapes that I've tried were the ones that hold the shoulder in its position, 
Um, and these are not kinesiology tapes, right? So no. the, the ones that you guys use uh, in kinesiology are supposed to be for treatment of pain, right? So there is different types of tapes. The tape that you use prior is something called rigid tape. So Luco tape, which is basically a tape that doesn't, um, it doesn't stretch. When it comes to kinesiology tape, most of these tapes actually stretch. The one that I use is called rock tape. Um, I've had my best experience with rock tape. And basically what happens is that it can stretch to 180%. I wish I had a piece. I should have bought yeah, one. We actually have a video. So let me, put, let me go here and do this. So you can probably talk to yeah. people. I mean, for, the, for those listening, uh, we have a video of uh, Oliver um, applying some of the kinesiology tape. On one of my coworkers. Yeah. yeah. So oftentimes when people have knee pain, this is the, the taping application that I will use. So what's really, really important is, is measuring out the tape and making sure that the tape always touches the skin, right? Okay. So you're, the first piece of tape that I measured out, I rounded off the edges as well so it doesn't catch the clothing. I take some of the, the, the tape off and you see just kind of keeping pressure, making sure that it stays nice and locked uh, against the, the skin is really, really important. So the initial uh, glide of having the tape come against the skin is super important. Now with the second piece, I'm going and I'm doing kind of a lips. I'm not putting too much stretch into the tape because I don't want it to overstretch the more you stretch the tape the least likely it is to stay on and the last piece that i'm going to put on here is going to be perpendicular to the other two pieces of tape that i put on so this is what we call the decompression okay so where the tape actually crosses over where that tape i just put on right now they have the biggest amount of crossover happening so what's happening is that in terms of the skin as well it's going to have the most amount of decompression so this lifting biological lifting oh, effect yeah. at the level of the skin so having the knee bent a little bit, it stretches the skin. We, we create the crossover, and then the decompression piece basically is there to lift it up even more. And a lot of people ask me, you know, Oliver, how do these tapes work? Because they're, they're kind of curious. They, they, they think there's some kind of medicinal property at the level of the tape. There's absolutely no medicinal property. It's 97% cotton, 3% nylon, basically within the weave, so it's a little bit stretchy, and it has an acrylic backing. And the acrylic backing, it will stick to the skin better when it's heated up. So if someone is really cold and you're trying to apply it on a cold surface, it's not going to stick very well. Also, you need to make sure that the skin is very, very clean as well. Because if it's not clean, you have moisturizer on, it's not going to stick very well. It, so how does it actually manage the pain? So it is three things. So the first thing that we just spoke about is that underneath the body, we have multiple layers of skin, right? When I place the tape or how I actually place the tape, a lot of the times we try to stretch the skin. And if I tape the skin in that position and you come out of that stretch, what's going to happen? It's going to have this kind of lifting effect. So if you can see, it's going to pull up into that area. Yeah. When we have that lifting effect, what occurs is you're creating more space underneath between these layers, creating more space, less friction, wow, brilliant. should be better at kind of allowing you to move through that area. That's the first way. Because it's not rubbing, right? Because the layers are not rubbing into the, inf the area Correct. that's inflamed. Correct. You're, 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 so a lot of therapies are compressive in nature. So if you're looking at massage, you're pushing down. This is decompressive. Ah, also, cupping is decompressive, right? We're creating space. You're also creating an area of negative pressure that's going to attract blood into the area, right? So if I create that space there, you're going to be pooling in blood into that area. That's, that's one of the also healing aspects of the tape. Another aspect to the tape, it has, I'm going to try to dumb this down the best as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain it to me like I'm five. Exactly. Well, this is what I'm trying to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> the second aspect that it has is it actually does decrease pain. And now the way it decreases pain, this is where we require a little bit of neuroscience. In short, pain and movement signals 
travel to the brain on the same pathways. Okay. Okay. So you can you get see, a bit technical here. I think yeah. that's the, so if you have pain and you have, and, you have, and you have movement, okay. they travel to the brain on the same pathway. Now, if I upregulate, so I make you feel one a little bit more than the other, you're going to feel the other one less, right? So what the tape does is that it actually creates this abrasive effect once it's on your skin. It actually tells your brain, hmm, you know what? I actually feel this area a little bit more. So more movement signaling is actually going to be going to the brain. And because of that, you're going to be feeling less pain. Uh, it's like a distraction. Or correct, like, yeah. correct. This is called pain gate theory. So if anyone wants to look into it, it's basically like a gate. Like if you have a, a train track that converge into one, basically if you make one, if you feel one a little bit more than the other, the train track is going to close and you're just going to feel more of that movement aspect. Amazing. Right? The third thing that it does, and like I said, our skin is actually has 10 times as many receptors than do our muscles and our ligaments okay so if i have my eyes closed right now and i decide to move i just don't want to punch your set here and anyway <laughs> and i decide to move my arm i know where it is in space why because i have all of these receptors that are inside my muscle that are inside these ligaments that are telling me that my arm is in this position right now if i stick a piece of tape on the surface of your skin you're getting 10 times more perception of what's going on in that area because you have you know these nociceptors you have pain perceptors you have mechanoreceptors you have vibrational based receptors everything at the surface of the skin that's going to start kind of sending signaling to the brain so now in terms of movement what you're going to get is you're going to get more signaling from that area more information is going to go to your brain if your brain can now assimilate all that information it can send a better output in terms of neuromuscular activity wow. into working in that area that's brilliant so not only do you have the decompressive nature you have the neuro signaling basically your muscles are going to be used a little bit differently and also you have that pain negating effect that's going to be happening through the area so you have three big effects from kinesiology tape and this is a lot of people just don't even think about yeah. it or even know about them right they, most people don't know about it so it, would you like just if i come to the clinic and express to you that i have some pain in my knee or my elbow or something is there a particular type of pain that uh, warrants itself for the tape or any type of pain would work i mean it can work on just about anything right the thing is is you don't want to create a therapeutic alliance to that so what do i mean by therapeutic alliance you come in you've had you know, pain maybe for a week and you can't train. You're the perfect candidate for taping, mm -hmm. right? Because I know it's an acute injury. I know it's something that if I maybe change your perception through that area, you can get back to training. And it's not the tape itself. It's the exercise and the movement that's going to make the difference. It's, it's just gonna, for a temporary period of time. It, it, it creates the right environment for you to not think about the pain so you can work out. And then, there you have it. Yeah, okay. So it's about creating that, that opening right there for the real magic to happen. Because... Like I was saying, I don't know if I said this previously, but there's passive therapy and there's active therapy. Passive therapy is me coming, massaging you, cracking you, putting needles in you. It's your brain not communicating with your body. It's someone from the outside that's manipulating something structural inside your body. The active therapy is where the magic happens, right? It's where your brain now starts communicating with the system and you start teaching it to work symbiotically and together to make a change. And sometimes the acute pain that maybe can't be handled so well with the passive therapy you put a little bit of tape on, you put something to skew or alter that perception, it does wonders, it allows you to train and it gets you out of it. So, you know, a lot of people ask me, how long can I wear this tape for? I say, because in Dubai, especially when it's very, very hot outside, if it's one to two days, I'm very, very happy. I've had some people in North America or I've had some people in wintertime here who've had it up to seven days. I think that's 
really extensive. I've, I've never really had the, the luck. I'm, I'm a little bit of a hairier dude, so <laughs> I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, the best candidate, but if you have, you know, just a uh, very flush skin and you stick it on five days is, is a normal, normal time to go. And you can go in the water, you can do everything. No side effects or anything. So this is, this is another important thing. So when I start out with individuals, I do something called a test patch. So I take a, a small piece and I actually place it on their hand and I wait for five minutes and I explain them what we just explained over the last you know five, 10 minutes of how this tape works and kind of make them understand what they're going to be going through. And then I take it off. And what you look for is, is primarily how does the skin react to it? So you have some people that when they take off the, the tape, they'll have absolutely nothing. Perfect candidate. You'll have them, you take off the tape. What they have, they have the acrylic. That's kind of the, uh, the motif of the acrylic that's left on their hand. I say, this can possibly lead to maybe some kind of skin reaction. Maybe they're, they're reacting to the acrylic itself. It's not the tape itself. It's just the acrylic backing that a lot of people maybe sometimes have hypersensitivity to. If someone tells me that they have reddening of the skin and it gets really itchy, I stay away as far as possible because you're having on the spot an allergic reaction and I, I don't want to you know make things worse. It's all about kind of getting that person to be right. in a psychological state of mind so that they can improve, not to make them worry about something else that's maybe kind of harming them. So I take it off right away. Got it, got it. Well, I mean, I've never tried them myself because uh, well, by now I don't have any more pain. Mm. Um, but there's no dependency on like, uh, if you start to apply the tape, it, it relieves the pain to the point that if you remove the tape and the pain comes back because you couldn't manage it, then you're kind of... You got used to it almost, like yeah. dependent on it. You yeah. can get dependent on it. Basically. You can. Yeah. And believe it or not, I have one case right now that I'm working with. We're working collectively at the clinic. I mean, I can't speak too much about these things. It's a patient confidentiality. But essentially, in short, what's happening is in this individual, his, his shoulder he has no more cartilage. Literally, there's no more cartilage left in. So when you move his shoulder, it's like cluck, 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 yeah, cluck, yeah, cluck, yeah. cluck. It's, it's just two bones that are completely rubbing one on top of the other. And this is not something that we're trying to take care of with conservative therapy. It's very, very hard, though. I have found with him, and he comes back now, it's been two weeks that he's coming back to me because I found this hack for him, that if I tape up one or two areas, he has significantly less pain, and he can go back to his training pretty consistently. Now, I told him, I said, look, this is great for now. But there's going to be a point of diminishing returns, Mm. right? There's going to be a point where this tape is not going to give you the same influence that it's giving you right now because your body's going to think that this is the norm and it being the norm it's not you it's going to start changing it's going to start kind of now modifying and finding a way to to do exercise differently so i told them and education patient education is everything right so you need to make sure that hey you feel good on the spot great you can exercise let's try to make a difference and let's see so i have to you know now modify the way that i'm going to be taping him i'm not going to tape him the same way every time i'm going to tape different points we're going to try different things and we're going to go kind of back and forth along with this conservative therapy to see what we can do but it's always you know the, the fun part with working with a multidisciplinary team is that you have multiple options you have multiple people who look at it from a different perspective and having that all under one roof is i think one of the coolest things working at disc right now is is hey you know i don't know something i pull one of the chiropractors i need you to take a look at this or hey you know doctor you're free come i want to send you someone can you do an ultrasound for this i need to know what's going on right now and this is where the real magic happens is that you know you don't need to go to 15 places you don't need to kind of run around or anything you have it all under one roof. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I've had that firsthand experience as well, working with uh, Tamara on Cairo, with uh, you know, with you on kinesiology stuff, with um, physiotherapists. It's great to have all these things, all these disciplines in one place. Um, do you? Uh, I wanted to ask you about generally because Dubai has a very particular lifestyle to the people who live here, and, mm-hmm. and as such, you have similar injuries and similar issues that I assume people have uh, because they all have similar lifestyles. So. What have you noticed to be the most, like the, the common denominator in terms of uh, lifestyle and their, therefore the problems? And what are, th- what are some of the advices you would give people who live here? Uh, Honestly speaking, it's a sedentary lifestyle. Everything in Dubai is extremely easy. I'll give you an example. You want food? Boom, get on your phone, deliver it. It's coming here in 20 minutes, right? You don't need to go anywhere, yeah. right? Um, also, the expectation, the work expectations in this country, I think a standard work week is 45 hours. Yeah. Is it, am I correct? So it's a little bit more than, let's say, Europe or North America. In North America, it's about 40. And in, in Europe, 35 to 40, depending on, on, on certain areas. So I mean, Unofficially here, it can be like 60 hours. In some cases, the employer expects you to be on your desk from 9 to 9. And, and there you have, you have to it. Do it. There you have it. And I mean, you're doing management and consulting. So you, you know, see some of these people who are just nonstop working all the time. So my biggest piece of advice for these individuals, I give multiple pieces of advice, but the biggest ones for anyone who's doing some kind of desk job, spending a lot of time behind a chair is grab your phone because everyone has their phone right next to them. They have their computer. You're somehow connected in some kind of way. Set a timer every 45 minutes. And when that timer goes off, do a little bit of a routine. So do a little bit of routine, even if it's kind of like neck circles, shoulder circles, you know, rotate from side to side get moving, right? The body was not designed to be still, right? And most of the cases that we see coming into the clinic, neck pain, low back pain because of sedentary living, Right, right? right? And a lot of people, you know, or a lot of doctors will give this advice, hey, you need to go exercise. Okay, so tell me what to do. You know, like they, they, they have no, what, what's exercise? So your definition of exercise may be very different than my definition of exercise. For example, I went out the other day and I did 50 kilometers on a, on a, on a bicycle. People are like, you did 50k on a bicycle and like yeah it, it's it's I've, I've done way more before but for me that's you know sufficient it's it's a good exercise for some five kilometers might be you know the end of the world right you're going to be so uncomfortable you're going to be this you're going to be that so it depends on understanding and again that educational component is super important yeah. right when i when i usually advocate exercise go out for walks at lunch right move around in your chair right be active just get blood moving into different areas because your body doesn't like being in that kind of same position all the time my second piece of advice is and this is i I think something that you wanted to kind of touch upon is pain isn't only structural right i i told you that pain could be also a perceptive issue right so a lot of people come up to me all over and they say oh i really want my posture to be better i I need to improve my posture can you give me exercises that are going to improve my posture what do you think? Maybe I, I told you this. What do you think is the number one factor that affects posture? Uh, sitting down too much? or Which is not a bad idea. So basically muscular, something right. kind of wrong. Okay. Do you have any other guesses? Enlighten me. Vision. Vision. Vision affects 70% of your posture. Like just how I look at things. Correct. Okay. Okay. So let's say I don't see something well. What are you going to do? You're going to approximate. You're going you're to bring yourself closer so that you can see better. What happens when you approximate? Everything will have this tendency of falling forward, right? So one of the things that I do in workout routines with certain individuals is I work on vision. And I'm not talking about the same vision when you go see the ophthalmologist. Hey, you know, can you look at these letters in the far? That's not vision, right? right? This is the biggest mistake that a lot of people don't understand. 
clarity, visual clarity is what they test when you go to an ophthalmologist. So you see letters at a distance and they get progressively smaller and smaller. How well is it? Oh, I have 20-20 vision. That's good. Just because someone has 20-20 vision doesn't mean that, you know, they'll be on the highway and they'll get into a car crash. You know, you can have 20-20 vision, but vision is not just your visual clarity. Vision is actually made up of four different things. Okay. Visual clarity being one of them. Second one is how well do your eyes move? So we have inside our eye sockets, we have six extraocular muscles or muscles that can kind of control our ability to move our eyes. And where we're very, very comfortable is looking down a lot of time. Why? Because yeah, I'm on my phone, phone all the time. Why don't you look up, right? A lot of time when people look up, they say, oh, I feel my head. I feel it, it's straining. Well, yeah, because you're not really strong. You don't have really good eye muscles to actually take you into that position, right? So that's the second thing. Third thing is uh, depth perception. Right. So I see that you're there, but I also see that there's stuff behind you that's farther away. You can train that. Right. One of the simplest drills that I give, I mean, if you want to try this right now and you'll see it's very straining on the eyes is using two fingers. So I'm going to place two fingers at two different positions. And what I want you to do is focus from one to the other. So if I sorry, I move the mic. Yeah, go ahead. So I have two fingers. I have one closer than the other. So I look at this one then I look at that one and you can see that. In doing so, in, in focusing from one finger to the other, basically you have your muscles inside your eyes that have to now start adjusting. Is this the pupil? That correct. Okay. Correct. Your pupil dilation and how it's going to make out that clarity afterwards. Okay. And your last thing that you, you need to work on is your also um, oh, peripheral vision. Right. Okay. So I'm sitting here right now, but I see in my peripheral vision that there's a screen on my, my right side there that's, that's showing us when we're talking right here right? And these are four things that you can work on, right? So if I have someone kind of walking on the side, you can train these things. You can train to see these things. And it's all together inclusively that make up what vision is. So is the idea that if I can see better, then I don't need to kneel down so much to Correct. see things? So this helps, is this, or is it with, that it not, has... not only with posture, just with muscular tone inside the body, right? So I'll give you a perfect example. I'm going to use myself, right? Might as well talk about myself when I'm here. I'm not going to use others. <laughs> I have certain movement impairments that I can't do. I've always struggled. I'm not going to lie. And this is kind of a shame to say because, you know, a kinesiologist, oh, he should be moving well. Hey, you know what? I have You're pretty I, fit, man. I, it's not about fitness. It's, it's, it's about moving as well, okay. right? I've always had issues with touching my toes. I can do it, but it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. I know everyone's going to say, oh, my hamstrings. And I sometimes, if I really push it, I'll feel the backside of my knees that are going to be pulling very much. I can do as much soft tissue work as I want. I can do my foam rolling. I can have someone massage them. It'll give me that 10, 15% that I'm looking for. You know what makes the biggest change? Is when I work my eyes, my vestibular system, and my balance. Okay. What's a vestibular system? So vestibular system basically is inside of your ear. You have three what are called these semicircular canals okay these are canals that allow you to keep your balance okay they're all positioned perpendicular to one another and basically what it is it's crystals that are placed inside these canals so have you ever spun a lot like in a circle uh, when you were maybe younger you played dizzy bat you yeah. know, have your head down and you go around and when you lift yourself up you know how it keeps spinning yes. all the time so these crystals are accelerating and are moving so they give us our perception of where we are in space, how we are standing up, and how we should adjust based on this. The visual system and the vestibular system work hand in hand. Okay? We have something called the vestibular ocular reflex that takes both of these things into account and is hugely important. So if you have any problems with your muscles of your eyes or your eyesight, let's look at it, those four elements we touched upon, or your vestibular system, 
this can create long-standing issues in terms of muscular tone inside the body. So for me, if I balance on my left leg, I look at my finger and I work on my left uh, semicircular canal going to my left, I can then come hands down on the floor, have perfect movement. But wow. it'll only last for about 10-15 minutes and then it goes back to where it was before. That's Why is that? Because I need to now start stabilizing in that position. I haven't done enough work and I don't think I've really nailed exactly what is creating all my issues. I used to snowboard a lot. I used to love snow parks. I used to, you know, grind rails and do big jumps. And man, the falls that I've taken have created, you know, obviously some kind of irreparable, like some, some kind of damage inside me that, you know, is not, is not doing me wonders, right? So I think it's the skateboarding, the, the, the snowboarding, and there's kind of this past of having injuries, which is leading me to having these issues right now. Now, putting this in daily perspective, people who have car crashes, right? Whiplash. Whiplash is the number one problem with when it comes to a vestibular-based problems. People who have vertigo. Could you elaborate what's whiplash? Uh, whiplash. So basically, you're, you're driving your car, let's say. It's, it's somehow you'll whip your neck in a certain position right. where the force is so strong that some of these crystals that are found inside of this canal get shot out or get shot into a different position that will permanently make you feel like you're getting dizzy. Oh, let's okay. look at it that way. Vertigo is another one. People who lose balance is another one right? These are things we can train, yeah. right? And a lot of the times when I see young athletes who are, you know, whether it's football guys, golf guys, tennis guys, or girls, sorry, we're going to make it inclusive here. <laughs> um, you need to train these things. If you don't train your eyes, it's, it's not about just how you move, how strong you are, but it's about how you perceive the outside world. And this is where a lot of this now new therapy, new physical training, it gets really wacky. You'll see some people on Instagram that do some pretty wacky stuff. I mean, I tried it's to... ancient Chinese. Uh, I think it's uh, one of my friends is doing uh, young. It's two Chinese words, but it's uh, all about balance, basically. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of merit to it. And, and, and this is where, like I was saying, it's not only a structural problem. It's also a perceptual, perceptual issues that lead to problems. So all in short, what I'm trying to say is your senses... Okay, I'll actually have a funny story to tell you actually after this. Uh, so, but your senses lead to your movement. If you have very poor senses, you move very poorly. Look at elderly, right? Their senses start going, right? Their eyes start going, their hearing starts going. Why do you think they start walking with shorter steps? They're a lot more abrasive. They, they can't move as well. Why? Because their senses are going. Right. That's primarily it. It's not because they're doing extensive amounts of exercise that their muscles are shortened and they're hypertonic. No, yeah. no, no. But where I wanted to go with this, this is where it was really, really fun is I did this big experiment. So I have uh, every year for the last now three years, it's actually coming up at the end of this month. I'm doing another one, but it's going to be via webinar because of this whole COVID situation. Mm -hmm. I attend uh, or I get invited to do a seminar. Uh, it's called Revive. This is the name of the, of, of the seminar. And one of my really good Bahraini friends, he created it. And basically, it's about creating this, this awareness amongst individuals to you know, educate individuals about what is proper fitness, what can they do nutritionally, how can they do mental coaching. It's, it's basically this holistic approach of understanding. Now, the irony behind it is that's an only Arabic-speaking seminar, and I was the only English speaker there. Okay. Right? Kind of funny because this your podcast is primarily in Arabic, and yeah. again, I'm only English speaker. Well, maybe you'll have more. We'll have a couple of episodes so, in English. There yeah. we go. So, yeah. sorry, you know, I'm sorry for those that uh, I'm not <laughs> speaking Arabic. But I did a really big experiment because my last talk that I did last year, basically there's about 200, 250 people who attend this. And I told myself, I'm like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. 
Like you're going into a talk and you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. We're going to do a big experiment amongst 200 people. So let's say it was 200 people. I made them pair together and I said, I want you guys to check a range of motion, which is hard for you to do. So that whether it's a toe touch, whether it's a back extension, whether it's a rotation, whether it's moving your shoulder in certain positions, something. I wanted them to find it. And then what I did at the front, I said, I want you to work on your balance on one leg. I want you to work on your eye movement and I want you to work on your vestibular system. And I said, <laughs> all of that in English, all, all of that in English. Right. <laughs> and, uh, there, well, there was a translator to be fair. There was a translator. So when I, this is the annoying thing when you, when you go into a seminar is you speak in English and then you have someone who kind of cuts you off right away and starts speaking in Arabic. And it's like the consistency was still there, but it's always a little bit difficult to, to run, you know, very, very smooth. These are technical terms. I bet the, even the yeah, translator but, is like, excuse me, could you, could you, could you, could you well, there was, a, you know, they would use English words as well. Right. right? At times. So I'd make them do these three things. And I said in my head, I was like in the front, I'm just scratching. I'm like, oh my God, like, is this going to work? Are people going to see a difference? Because I, I even said to them, I'm like, this is an experiment. Let's see how it goes. And most people were flabbergasted after they're like, whoa, how did you open up my movement so much and you didn't even touch me? And, and, and this is it. It's, yeah. it's the senses that are, that are your, your decreased peripheral kind of yeah. senses that are not detecting the outside world which are stimulating threat inside your body and are not allowing you to move. So what are some of the workouts that uh, people can do at home to improve that uh, relationship between those three things in terms cool. of balance? I mean, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. You need to actually undergo an assessment, right? Um, a lot of the times what I'll do, I mean, you don't necessarily need to do a full assessment for the eyes, but for the vestibular system and, and the proprioceptive system, which is the balancing-based system, requires a little bit more of an assessment. One thing I make individuals do just kind of in general something called a pencil push-up so i'll show you exactly what yeah. that is it's basically you have your finger in front of you you come in all the way to the point to where you start kind of losing your focus with the finger and then you move away so doing this kind of pencil push-up you're going to be working on what's called divergence uh, sorry convergence of the eyes and then as it goes out the divergence of the eyes so it's your ability to actually work on this okay that's one thing i give i also give you know eye tracking drills where you try to keep your head very still, and you try to just kind of follow your finger into multiple positions. Mm. This is one thing, very, very easy, basic, e yeah. easy, simple that you can do. Yeah. And believe it or not, if you, I mean, if some of your followers will try this, assess your range of motion, just do a couple of eye-based drills, and then reassess your range of motion. It'll probably be greater. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we've done something back, uh, well, a disc a few days ago with the ball, yeah. uh, with one eye closed, throwing Correct. the ball back and forth. Correct. First of all, it was super fun. Cool. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I could also feel like that after I uh, opened both of my eyes, that like as if I'm, as if you improve the focus on a camera, basically. Like, that's how it felt. Correct. Anyway. And that's because most of the time we have a dominant eye and we have a non-dominant eye. Yeah. And that will dictate basically how you're going to move. And again, posture, yeah. right? Will I turn this way because I'm seeing better with my le left eye or am I going to turn this way because I look better with my right eye? And this may dictate things down the line as well. So when it comes to the visual system, that's what I give. When it comes to proprioception, actually, you could look something up on your, uh, on your iPad. There's a, there's a test that's called the Fukuda test, which is basically where you stand on spot. Your, your arms are straight out in front of you. How do you spell that? Uh, F-U-K-A-D-A, Fukuda test. And basically... Uh, what you do, you march on spot for about 30 seconds. We'll try to get a video up here so that people can see. And most of the time, what you get from individuals is they'll start rotating to into a certain direction. I got a step test here. You think that would work? Uh, what's it called? Fukada step test. Good. Perfect. 
So if, if hopefully, hopefully this works because I think it would be very interesting for viewers to see this. And I'll try to talk you guys through this. It's always a little bit tough eh, when we have technology working. <laughs> yeah, it's just the video is not loading. That's all. Hold on, let me see. You can keep explaining. I've, I've had you. I've had issues actually at our house as well. It's the same thing with my with my little baby. So sometimes we wa we watch the iPad. I mean, when it comes to feeding time, I think we made a little bit of a mistake to make her kind of uh, get this dependence on having to look at uh, screens in order to eat. So now we're trying to wean her off of it, and it's a little bit aggravating for her. But uh, we have uh, issues with loading as well lately. I don't know why. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's a, a UAE thing. It's not illegal in any way, not that I'm aware of it. Should be should be okay to load. Here we go. One second. If anything, I could just show I can show it, you know, to viewers. I'll I'll just do it. I'll just have to take my, my headphones down and you see, would you prefer really? that? Oh, so oh, okay, okay. So you see this guy. So he has basically his eyes closed right now. He brings both arms in front of him. And essentially he asks to march for thirty seconds in that position. Now let's just hope that there'll be a visual skew. Oh, this guy is like a perfect guy here. So what will happen oftentimes is that people will start rotating in a certain direction. Okay, right? so he would start So you see he's actually starting to turn a little bit to his right. Okay, now it's starting to be even more. Wow. Right? So he thinks he's, he's marching in a straight line. But oh, in reality, no. he's starting to now, now you can see it's more progressive. He's starting to drift off to that right side. That's crazy. Does he think he's... He thinks he's in a straight line. He, but does that mean his right side is more dominant? No, oh. is, is lacking information. So now he opens his eye and he's like, what? Why am I facing to my right? Right? It means that propios, or sorry, that vestibular system on that right side is not supplying enough information about him rotating into that direction wow and then basically this has all these implications on um, huge like putting more weight on one Correct. side and yes yeah yes and honestly it's great getting you know traditional therapy done whether it's you know hey i'll massage your back hey i'll massage your neck hopefully you'll feel better if you don't address this it's just going to keep coming back That's right it. so this is where all these therapies now are looking at okay what is actually not the symptom? What is the cause of the problem? Right. Right. And not many people assess this. And this is a direction that I decided to go into, not because I just found it fascinating, but I've seen ridiculous results. Wow. Like things, you know, hey, people have worked with such and such and such. They come to see me and it's like after two times, I'm better. Yeah. It's like, whoa. I mean, like, so what, is that, what needs to happen so that this kind of knowledge and discipline is integrated with the regular workout? I mean, if you go to a gym, for example, you're immediately going to be given a workout schedule, maybe a diet schedule. Yeah. Nobody talks about that stuff. Yeah. And I feel like it's important. And, and, and it almost needs, I mean, fortunately, this podcast is going to cover it to some extent, but um, it, it needs to become so much more mainstream than it is right now. Correct. I mean, if I didn't even, yeah. So. Correct. Well, in general, I mean, we can compare this to, you know, something that you've got me really into, which is these cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin started in 2009, but adoption is now 10 years later. Yeah. Same goes with therapy. It takes about a decade of, you know, proper research before people will start assimilating this into their everyday life. So education is really important, but it also what it depends on is the therapist himself. I'm going to make a little fun of myself right now. I call myself, you know, I'm, I'm curious like a cat, right? Because I, I always like taking in the most amount of information. I kind of like being a little bit ahead of the curve. So this is where my kind of thought process and saying, look, I've worked with this individual a couple of times. I'm not seeing any bit of a difference. What else can it be? What else can it be? And it's kind of led me into going into, you know, studying the senses a little bit. Maybe I can start training people in their senses a little bit, getting them a little bit better at perceiving their outside world. And all in all, it's made a huge change in my practice. So 
I mean, if it's, it's for the people who are watching this podcast, you know, maybe, hey, spread the word, maybe do a little bit of studying on this, but it's also having people who are at the front line. So, you know, whether yeah. it's kinesiologists, chiropractors, physiotherapists who want to actually go out of their normal scope and, and try to make themselves a little bit better, yeah. then you have to kind of do the research and you have to test it yourself. So it's a, it's a fine line. I'm happy to share this with everyone. Yeah. I don't think that anything should be held for myself. I'm all about helping as many people. This is what I'm trying to do with my, my Instagram pages. I'm trying to reach out. I'm trying to tell people, you need to start trying these things. You need to start training in these positions. Just make people understand because we as healthcare practitioners don't only have the job of helping people who are in front of us, but also helping anyone who asks, right? Yeah. So I always get, you know, sometimes some messages sent to me, hey, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I'm I'm always happy to help. I'm not the yeah. one that's going to ignore anyone given that I have the time. And similarly, look, I mean, I want to make sure that we get all this important information out there on what people should do, um, but also hopefully shed light on, you know, bullshit treatments that might be out there ripping people off or not even help not only not helping them but also maybe doing them a disservice yeah so uh one of the things that we were talking about last time is um these uh, electric zapping um mm. uh, sort of modalities that you get at gyms nowadays yeah. which basically promise you six packs without you having to work out uh, that's one of them right and uh, look i can't <laughs> I'm kind of ashamed of this because I should have tried it by now. So I've I've actually have an EMS kit, which is basically uh, electronic muscle uh, stimulation. So you basically place it on the on the surface of your skin. And in terms of a therapeutic modality, there is a lot of merit to it, especially if there is, let's say, a lot of swelling. So let's say someone busted their knee, they maybe torn a ligament, putting putting an EMS kit on and having them kind of stimulate through the area without their brain actively moving can be very helpful because it won't elicit too much pain, but it'll get also blood flowing through the area. So this is where I see a lot of merit when it comes to that. When it comes to strapping a bodysuit on you and having, you know, electricity be conducted through your whole body, I haven't really read up much about it, but there's probably some kind of other consequences that may be attributed to that as well. I don't think necessarily, you know, being zapped is the way to go. I think that, you know, consistency, hard work, and just living an active lifestyle is making the adjustment in your lifestyle is going to make or give you a greater effect in terms of overall results when it comes to health and wellness. Um, I don't know what the longstanding issues are with this EMS. I would like to try it. But from what I heard, I, I had my sister who tried it. I had a couple of people who came up to me and said they tried it. They're like, oh, yeah, we love it. But I think it's it's a fad. It's 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 another thing that it's like, oh, I feel like I have a great workout. You're zapping your, you're zapping your muscle. So you're going to be recruiting more of your muscle. So right. more of that muscle that's not working. But... But it also feels, I mean, like it's it's a very lazy way to get a good body. Of course. And, and of course. It's, for, so from the people that, who have tried it, who spoke to you, yeah. did they like it because the results were actually what was promised? I was? have never heard of results. I've heard of intense soreness. Okay. So soreness in muscle that I've never, so deep and so different. Cool. Like, yeah. good on you. I mean, uh, sure. But is soreness going to give you the results that you want? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is where, you know, people are in this kind of ultimate search of, hey, I want to get better. Hey, I want to get stronger. Hey, I want to look better. Substance abuse is becoming a very big issue in this country. Like juicing Vi up? Basically. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I, I want to ask you about that specifically because um, I did some blood tests recently. Um, and You're on steroids. No, no, You're I'm, on not. I'm actually not. Never <laughs> tried that stuff. I've tried a lot of stuff in my life, um, but not. I've never been juiced up. Uh, but the doctor that was there um, was saying that 
they will provide in their clinic uh, growth hormone and testosterone <laughs> recycling. And I was surprised that this is being offered by the clinic because I always thought this stuff is illegal or like you just you can't just get it from clinic. I'm not aware of it either. I'll be really honest to you. So is this 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 happened lately here? So the service was offered to me as a proper official. Like as the doc, I was asking the doctor out of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that growth hormone is used. Uh, a lot of people in Hollywood take it for anti-aging and mm-hmm. so on. He's like, yeah, I take it too. And we can also give you that course if you want and so on. And I was like, is this legal? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And the, here at the clinic, we can do it. And I, I don't know if they need to find a reason to do so. And they look up a right, reason. Right. But I was surprised because up until now, I always thought this is the kind of thing that you do in a locker room. Uh, that most, that most people do, right? Yeah. Um, I actually have one of my my fellow clinicians that I work with, a doctor. He's a very, very brilliant guy, actually. He's He's put people through these courses into understanding what needs to be done and how these things have to be cycled. Honestly speaking, if you just shoot it in yourself, it'll have a short-term positive effect, but there's a lot of negative effects that come about when not cycling this properly. So, you know, all of these products, whether it's growth hormone, testosterone, all of whatever is injected, I don't know the specifics either. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a science in itself that I haven't really gone along that lines, but it needs to be regulated, right? Once you... Uh, regulate one hormone, there's going to be another hormone that's going to want to follow, right? So if you ingest uh, or you inject testosterone, well, you're going to have your progesterone, you're going to have certain other markers that are going to go up as well in tandem with the fact that you have this. So being cycled properly is something that's super important. And if you don't do it properly, a lot of people get horrible side effects. Right. Some of the side effects is, is actually the, the creation of man boobs. Actually, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a normal... Um, response to not being regulated properly on these hormones you get also a lot of inflammation so you'll see a lot of these top level athletes these 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 bodybuilders who are taking this stuff they look absolutely fantastic for one two weeks a year because they really diet and they make sure that hey you know i'm comp ready i, I look great at this time but for the rest of the year sometimes they they hold they hold a lot of water and and there's there's other effects as well that affects the body and, yeah. and again i'm not the the greatest source if, if this is someone you want to have come on to the podcast and, and go extensively into this it'd be very very interesting i have a ton of friends who do it but i don't think any of them will be comfortable to come on the show and talk about it um but you're right i mean you know, put a, a paper a, bag on uh, yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> some voice uh, adjustment um they uh, have some of them have skin issues you know clearly acne is one of the things that you develop i mean you you're, you're messing up your your uh, hormonal system hugely yeah hugely Um, but yeah i mean they definitely bulk up i mean one thing (laughs) you gotta you gotta admit apparently i mean this is from what i hear because i also have some friends that have done it in the past they say it's like if you're not on it if you're not on a cycle it's like what is this training like why am i training i can't push myself as much as before i just don't have that kick i don't have that you know and, and a lot of people just think it's your ability to lift heavy is not only that it's primarily your ability to recover from the workout so a lot of people when they come in and they come to see me they're like oh you know i'm going to work out a lot a lot a lot lot," but they don't see results remember it's not the workout that makes you better it's the recovery from the workout that makes you better right and your ability to get stronger and stronger is when you come in you bring yourself down so you're 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 beating your body down so whether you're you know you're, you're smashing weights you're super sore but your body repairing those muscles after are going to make them bigger. They're going to make you feel better and you're going to be stronger. So you always want to go in this cycle that's going to be going upwards rather than training, 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 which may bring you to, you know, burnout or an injury or something, you know, happening in that sense. So it's super important to find the right balance. Again, I'm not the best individual to speak about this. 
I would be very careful. I mean, for anyone out there, look, there's no easy way of achieving anything when it comes in health and wellness, especially if you want to build a lot of muscle. It requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of patience and it requires a lot of eating, right? Yeah. I think one thing that people don't understand is if you want to build muscle, you need to eat a lot. Yeah. And yeah. when I mean a lot, I mean a lot. It's, yeah. it's a nonstop, you know, glutton fest of eating food. And most people can't actually get the right amount of calories in to build muscle because yeah. they're like, I just, I don't have the time of the day. I don't have this. I don't have that. You got to yeah. make, the, you got to make the time. You got to make the time in order to grow. All right. Well, I want to ask you as we wrap up the episode about, um, you know, you went, you went to McGill, right? Correct. Excellent college, uh, university. Um, is there a difference between college and university? I don't think so, but it's a university. It's not I, a college. It's a university. Yeah. That's a good question. You know, actually. I, I almost studied pre-med at, at, at McGill. Did you? Before I came to Did you get accepted? I got accepted and I decided not to go there because I... You would have loved it. I know, but I, 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 I basically, I came to my senses because I don't think I could have been made for the seven cold? years of... Yeah, and then f- seven years of studying medicine, five years of... Yeah. So I came, I decided to... Actually, I did end up studying medicine in Jordan uh, for a No semester. way. Yeah, and then I decided to... Seriously, I keep learning more and more about you. I didn't know... So, so, so this is the Hair second so, so this is the second thing this week. That, so you actually studied medicine. I, I started studying medicine. So I got into uh, three... So I got into AUB, Jordan University, and McGill. Cool. McGill is a pre-med, so it's just cool. biology and chemistry. Yo, you know what? You know, it's extremely difficult to get into pre-med at, univers- yeah. at uh, McGill. It's not a joke. I know. I was so, very good at biology and chemistry at school, so... Uh, no, but you're not only that, but you also had a very, very good CV. So in 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 at McGill, it has this really big bias thing. So essentially, in the province of Quebec, where so Montreal is where McGill is, the province of Quebec is the only French-speaking province in Canada. So they have this huge bias on having people from Quebec get into the program. So let's say there's 120 seats for med or pre-med, whatever it may be, 90 of them to 100 of them are for people who are inside the country because they're hoping that they'll get French-speaking people to stay within the country rather than to come in and just leave the country afterwards. So you are one of very few candidates to get in so big yeah. kudos to you because i know some very I think smart i was initially on the waiting list and then it was like tentatively accepted and then eventually like okay now you can actually Amazing. get in so they gave the priority as Amazing. you said to the local uh, students but then they left some capacity for international yeah. ib students yeah. and so i was on the list first and then i eventually got in but i didn't join because i said i'll study medicine in jordan and realized it's not for me yeah. fortunately i ended up moving to business um but after you studied at mcgill did you then move directly to to well actually no. you went to kuwait first right? correct correct so how does a guy in canada you were married at the time no i wasn't i'll tell you, you i'll tell you the whole story okay so uh, essentially i'm with my wife now over eight years just over eight years four years married and uh, obviously we met in Canada. She comes from South America, so she comes from Chile. She moved to Canada when she was 16, and we met when we were about 24. That's when we started kind of dating. Uh, my parents worked in Dubai for seven years, and I would come every winter and the start of summer to visit them for two weeks, you know, when school was done, and in the winter break just to kind of get sunshine, get away from the cold of Montreal. And I said to myself, I absolutely love this city. Like, I love it. I think it's young. It's vibrant. It's fun. The weather is nice in the wintertime, not so much in the summertime. But uh, it's a great place. It's a very fun place. And, and, it's, and it's innovating. It pushes people to, you know, go you know, beyond themselves and, and to be successful. I always told myself I would love to move here, but I needed to have my other half. I've heard too many things around here. I I don't know. I don't know. I have never, you know, lived a single life in Dubai, but I heard that sometimes it's a little bit tough to maybe find that right person here, whatever it may be. This was just something I wanted myself is to come here with my partner. So we were dating for, believe it or not, four months when she actually surprised me by coming and meeting my parents here with my sister and her boyfriend at the time. 
And I had no idea. So I arrived and I saw my wife. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> is, this where, is this a dream? Like, is this true? So she surprised me in front of my parents. So she met my parents without even me knowing. This is four months into our relationship. So, you know, it was kind of something special. So we spent that two weeks here, two, three weeks here. It was fantastic. And we said to ourselves, you know what? Let's love it. Let's, let's look for jobs. So we made it back in January, back to Canada. We started looking. Fortunately enough, she found right away Emirates was hiring. This was in 2014 when they were booming. They were trying to expand their cabin crew. She got an interview like this in Toronto, made it to the third round. Boom, accepted. Amazing. Amazing. So you're going to, you're going to Dubai. She got, I think, accepted in March. Like the interview process was uh, February, March. March, she got accepted. Two months of moving to Dubai. I'm like, wow. Holy moly! Like this is good. I didn't think you were gonna find a job that fast, and then it all kind of fell into my <coughs> it's meant hands. To be. It's meant to be, right? So long story short, she made it over in May, and this was where it was a little bit tough for us because we were apart. And her being here, she actually met someone through Instagram who forwarded my CV to this one guy who is a business development guy, very, very kind of very business orienting, opening up businesses left, right, and center, primarily between Dubai and Kuwait, but primarily in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. He pushed my CV because he saw it. It was kind of more rehab-based. It's not so much of a gym-based. And I got a job uh, in Kuwait at a clinic called Fazia Sultan Rehabilitation Institute. So I said to myself, look, you know what? I have nothing. I have no prospects in Dubai. So what am I going to do? Why not? Let's let's go to Kuwait. So you did long distance while... We did long distance. So that first six months, basically, was long distance from Montreal to Dubai. Okay. In September, I decided to come and visit had to get a couple of things. That's when I decided to buy the engagement ring. And later on that December, I surprised her here a couple of days early with an en- a surprise engagement. So we were engaged. But then right after the engagement, I moved to Kuwait. So we spent about a month here. I started working in Kuwait and I went for a whole year before kind of going back and forth. It was far easier being an hour and 15 minute flight away rather than being 13 and a half hours away in, right. in Canada. So we did do the long distance thing for a year and a half. And then after a year in Kuwait, which I loved very much, I was very blessed to be surrounded by amazing people, but life was very different and we wanted to move to Dubai. I said to myself, yalla, that's it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm out of Kuwait, even yeah. though I had, I think I had six offers. Six in, offers. In Kuwait. In Kuwait, I had people also come up to me and say, I want to start a business with you. Two people who came up to me and said, I want to start a business with you. We'll fund it. Let's open up our own place. And I had to, you know, thank the, yeah, I was just, I was yeah. kind of, I was, I was shell shocked. So you moved to Dubai when the, you, when you got the job in disc? No, mm. I had nothing. I had nothing in Dubai. So I was in, I was in contact with Michael and Tamara, who are the owners here of disc prior for a year, a year before. So basically when I got engaged, that's when I first met Tamara and then, you know, just kind of talking them through the years. I came here and I said, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm going to just try finding something here. So the second I landed within three days, I got the contract for disc, wow. signed it. And I was just two weeks out of work and then right away back to work. So working here now for almost five years and uh, loving the experience, meeting great people like yourself and other people yeah. around the city. And I got to tell you, you, you mean, I went through your Instagram to get some pictures for the teaser. And, yeah. you know, you definitely draw like, you know, just looking at the pictures of having met your your wife or your kids yeah look they look lovely like like lovely family god bless mm-hmm. um and it, it it does you know inspire a different type of life for a guy like you to live in dubai um settle down not living the crazy single life of mm-hmm. dubai uh, it kind of was refreshing to see like uh, you know you guys all together. so so in a way it was like not the kind of thing that you would normally expect from expat single guys mm. or guys coming to Dubai but you sort of made that image look really nice yeah. and I really look forward to meeting your wife and kids thank you day. yeah well the dog's I, not here today yeah I know that's the thing so my my daughter absolutely loves 
animals. If you show like a video on the phone, she's like, ha ha ha, she starts kind of laughing. So definitely you'll meet them one day. And, and thank you so much for the kind words. I mean, everyone's a little bit different. Um, I, I kind of see myself as a little bit of an old school kind of guy knowing what I want rather than, you know, I think we've all had our lives where we were uh, hotheads and uh, yeah, we enjoyed. But I think there's a certain time where you say, hey man, you know, now it's time to get a little bit more serious. Very so. picturesque life. I have to say like, I mean, there's one picture I think on your Instagram, uh, you're carrying your wife who you can tell is definitely fit. And she's a, Very. she's a pole, pole dancing teacher. So, yeah. So believe it or not, her passion uh, was, was pole dancing. She was a pole dancing instructor. Right. And in 2013, she competed. She came first in Quebec, third in Canada that year. Let's see if I can pull up that picture as you're talking. Go uh, so yeah, she's extremely talented. <laughs> believe it or not, we actually have in our apartment, we have a pole set up. So every time someone comes in, they see the pole and they're like, whoa, you know, what, what is this, you know, what, 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 what is this for, you know, and people start getting all these kind of images and everything. But yeah, she's very, very, very talented. Um, I keep, I keep kind of pushing her. She, she can't wait. So we're expecting actually our second child within the next two weeks. All right. So right Alina's now, gonna get a, sister. A, a, a brother, a brother, bro- a brother. yeah, that. a little wow. brother is going to be kind of running around. So it'll be fun to see how they actually get along. But uh, yeah, I was your Instagram name again. Akinisi Ali. Okay. K I N E S I. And then underscore all that's it. Yeah, yeah. So you have uh, a name or sorry, for the little one? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sharing it with anyone. Though. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, I, 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 have, I, I haven't shared. I haven't shared it with anyone. So uh, I just wait until that actually kind of comes through. Yes, we have a name. Thankfully, we're we were pretty much on the same page when it came to that. But uh, yeah, I think. Um, so Cammy, so Camilla, who is my wife, uh, I always keep pushing her and saying, you know what, you would be a great instructor here if she continues and she's going to start after this pregnancy, she's going to start teaching more and more people. So I think we're going to have a lot of people come into our apartment and start kind of swinging around the pole more than anything else. So you have a pole in your actual apartment? We do. I, I mean, I wish I can pull up the picture. I don't really know where it is. I have to kind of scroll through my phone. But uh, it's always really entertaining and it's so funny. So we had some construction happen in our apartment the other day. And one of the maintenance guys comes in and he sees the pole and, you know, being one of the maintenance guys, he starts laughing and he says, why do you need more structural support? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, little do you know, it's not a structural support. It's actually there for... uh, Where's that picture? Is it like recently posted? Uh, I think it's a the little... One, you know which one you're carrying yeah, your wife? And yeah, you your I think it's a little... Ultrasound picture? Mm-hmm. Here it is, here it is. You got it? Yeah, that's amazing. Hold on. Let's do this. There you have it. Yeah, so my wife always has these creative ways. I mean, even on her Instagram, she's very, very creative. She's very artsy in that way. That's how we uh, told the very world cool. basically that we were expecting our second. So <laughs> just around the corner. So yeah, so Cami does some training as well. She does polls. She does a little bit of everything. So yeah, we're just enjoying our life Exciting here. Trying times. to be really, really happy. Exciting times. Oliver, it's been an hour and a half, so I gotta say thanks for Thank thanks you. for doing this, man. Thanks this for was coming. amazing. This, this was amazing. A, you're literally the first English episode on the podcast. It's gonna be very hard to top this one, so oh. I gotta say thank don't, you so much for that. doing this. It's always great to have you, and hopefully next time you'll come with your wife and your kids. We'll have Happily. some coffee, play with the dog. Happily, and Happily. that's a wrap. Thank you so thank very you, much. Buddy. Thank you so much. Bye. How was that? Very good. Boom. Done.